Hey there, Omaha. Welcome into another episode of Restaurant Hoppin'. I've got a really exciting new guest for you today. He is the owner of a brand new pop-up. It's only done two events so far, but they both sold out. I've been to both of them. They were both fantastic. This is Jesus Iniguez. He is the owner of uh, Ikniutli, the new pop-up that operates out of the archetype in Little Bohemia. Jesus, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Um, so I just want to start and kind of give an introduction to people because Ikniutli is so new. I think, you know, a lot of people might not know about it, but the people that do know about it obviously know. I mean, I was there when the doors opened to your second pop-up last night. I would say there was probably 35 people in line, and from what I could tell, there was a pretty steady stream. So I guess to just kind of open it up to people who haven't heard about it yet or maybe haven't experienced it yet, how would you describe Ikniutli? Uh, Ikniutli, uh, so honestly, it's just a kind of an expression of my favorite fru- foods growing up. Uh, so comfort food to me is basically uh, what I'm trying to put out. So tamales in the winter, uh, you know, with the hot chocolate that I did with the first pop-up, that to me is like the ultimate winter meal. It warms you up. It's really filling. It's really comforting. Um, carnitas as well is something that is also kind of like a celebration food. So typically um, at the end of Lent, you know, after Easter, uh, carnitas is like kind of, you know, the, the meal that everybody typically has. So I just thought it would be really cool uh, to do carnitas this time around, but also one of my favorite foods. Um, so I just, uh, I guess cook what I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the perfect way to do it because yeah. you do, you don't want to you don't want to just you know put something out there just because you know it's what you you know think people might enjoy or whatever. You can tell when someone's cooking something that they really like, and I feel like that's something that comes through in your food. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you kind of answered part of my strategy there, but like you've had two pop-ups so far and they've been, you know, two pretty different foods. One was kind of a carnitas, you know, street taco kind of, um, kind of vibe. The other was more on the tamale side. How do you kind of determine those menus and, and what you want to cook for a pop-up? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, just what I want to eat. Um, and then just, yeah, honestly, that's it. <laughs> so you've done the two pop-ups so far. One was in early February, February yeah. 7th, I think. The second was April 11th. How mm-hmm. often do you plan on doing these? Um, at the very least, every other month. But if other opportunities arise, I'll do it more often. Uh, but for now, you know, since I work full-time at Archetype and everything, I want to still uh, keep it, um, you know, pretty spread out. Since the whole week I do... Um, all of the prep by myself. So it's, you know, I work at Archetype and then I put in my full day there and then I, you know, spend the rest of the day prepping. So I don't want to, I want to keep it fun and not just, I don't want to overwhelm myself with too much. Right. And that's something that I definitely should have mentioned off the top (laughs) is that you also are a barista at Archetype. You're a very valuable member of that team. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a huge part of your identity as well. You, don't just operate equally. So mm-hmm. that's important to point out. Um, what, just kind of getting into the food a little bit more, I just, I cannot forget, even though it was, you know, two months ago now, those tamales were just unlike any tamale that I've ever had before. They were, they were really, really excellent. 
What, what is like, what's this, what's the secret or what's the key to making an upper echelon tamale? Um, <laughs> I guess I really don't know. Um, a lot of, I mean, especially tamales, it's, um, you know, I asked my mom a lot of like, Hey, how do you do this? Like, uh, a lot of my cooking, I guess is emotional and I don't really think about it much else than that. If I cook it, and then it makes me feel joy and happiness. And that's like the recipe I try to stick with. And the I don't make them exactly like my mom does. I did change a few things to make it more my style. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> I guess emotion is the, I guess, not really a secret. But Well, no, I, I think that is. But yeah. how do you like, how do you find that place where you're cooking with joy and happiness? Is, is that just... Whenever you're cooking, are you kind of in that mode, or are there certain times where it's just like, man, this is just really coming together. This, you know, this is I'm just really feeling this. I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, let's. I want to kind of peel back the layers and kind of get yeah. into your background a little bit. I know uh, your parents had a Mexican restaurant growing up in uh, in Sioux City, mm-hmm. but you actually you took the coffee route when you started up and um, kind of. Getting into your story a little bit, I, you know, doing some research, I kind of listened. You kind of stumbled into your career in coffee. Can you kind of tell me about that story and how you got into the hospitality industry? Yeah, so, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've always been the type of person that whenever I eat something, I just really pay attention to, you know, what it tastes like. And I think that's the emotional part for me, too. It's like almost like the emotion kind of locks that memory in place. Okay. So whenever I eat something and I try to recreate it, it's just like, it's it's really hard to explain. Um, it is like, I do try to keep everything the same every time. Um, but I just focus a lot on how things taste like coffee, especially in college. Um, so I was, you know, obviously a college student, you need a lot of coffee to stay awake, to study for tests, to write papers, all of that. Um, so I'd be going to this coffee shop in town in Sioux City, and I would always just be amazed at the coffee. And I also I'm the type of person that gets really like once I'm into something, I get really into it, and I try to learn the most I can about it. Uh, so that's kind of how coffee was. And then you know I I was going to the shop. I was talking to my friend about how I had recently quit a job that I had. And I just, you know, need something else. And they overheard that. And they were like, hey, Jesus, uh, we have an opening. Would you like an interview? And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's do that. Uh, but through that, I got, you know, a lot more toys to play with, a lot diff- lot more different coffees to try out. So, so what what kind of got you on the line of thinking that, you know, you, you kind of just went in and, and someone offered you a job and you're like, yeah, yeah. sure, I'll do this. How did you kind of start to think this might be more of a long-term thing than maybe just another job? Um, when I graduated college, uh, I graduated with a like a kind of a business degree, uh, more uh, like in the nonprofit sector. Uh, so it was this thing, like I had a job lined up, but I just felt like I didn't want to get a job just to have a job. I wanted to... Like, if I'm not happy, I'm not going to want to do anything. So if I'm not happy sitting at a desk 40 hours a week, like, I was just thinking, like, that's not what I want to do for, you know, it could be something I do in the future. 
But for now, I was like, I want to do something that makes me happy and I'm going to stay in coffee. And that was a really difficult decision, honestly. Like, my parents were upset at me and all that stuff. But I just told them, I was like, I'm happy doing this. I want to be as good as this as I can get. Um, and that's just how I made that choice. What was it about coffee that really grabbed you? Uh, just, I mean, when you think about even just the different varieties in coffee, like different, you know, even where they're from, how that changes, it's just almost like the science nerd in me is just like thinking like, oh, all these different flavor profiles for all these different coffees. And when it comes to brewing, how you can manipulate everything to kind of make it taste different. Um, I mean, and even like when you steam milk, there's a science to how you're caramelizing all the sugars, how much you can do that without degenerating the proteins to, you know, if you over steam milk, it's going to be too frothy. It's going to be almost grainy in texture. So like looking at each part of everything, like reading about it and looking at it scientifically is what really stimulates my brain a lot. So, so I just, what I'm hearing from you is next time I go into the coffee shop, I need to be a lot more appreciative of the people <laughs> putting my drink together because there's like there's science behind there it. There is, yeah. So things that people don't think about at yeah. all. Yeah. So, okay. First, I want to take this opportunity to give a shout out to a radio program called Behind the Menu mm -hmm. uh, that airs on Saturdays at 2 p.m. on 91.5 FM. I really try to do a lot of research coming into these interviews to have good background on my guests. And mm -hmm. they had an interview with you from, I think it was a month or two ago mm -hmm. that really had a lot of good stuff. And, and that's where I've taken some of this. So I want to give a shout out to those guys because I think they do really good work. They had, you had a, uh, a, a quote during that interview where you talked about Isaiah Sheese, who oh, yeah. is the owner of archetype, how he chased you. And he, he was trying to get you to come to archetype and he was like recruiting you. Can you kind of tell me a little bit more of that? How did your relationship with Isaiah begin? Um, so I don't know if he remembers this. I I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, with, you know, coffee, there's a lot of different competitions. And Isaiah has been doing barista competitions for the past, I would say, probably 13 years. Mm -hmm. I um, just started in 2008. So, yeah. yeah, 13 years. There you go. Something like that. Um, but I was following him. Uh, he did this, uh, this one, it was called Smoke and Mirrors. And that was the year that I was really, like, I learned about all those coffee competitions and all that. Uh, so the first time I actually met Isaiah Sheese was in Seattle at, um, at you know, the Barista Championships. And it was like a brief, like, hey, Isaiah, I'm Jesus, I live up north in Sioux City. Uh, you know, good job, all that. And he was like, oh, cool, thanks. I mean, so that was my, my very, very first interaction with him. Um, but then I was hosting a latte art competition up in Sioux City about a year or two after that. Um, and then I asked him to come judge. And then during that, you know, I was pulling the shots for everybody to, you know, steam the milk and, you know, do their latte art. And he was like, Jesus, this is your job interview. Don't mess up. <laughs> it was just like a one-off. I mean, I know he probably didn't mean that, but it was really funny. Um, and then after that, he was just, he would just ask me every so often, you know, if I needed a job down there, I'm kind of in jest, but, um, then he heard that I got a job in Iowa city and he was like, Hey, Jesus, you're not going to like it up there. Uh, sign a six month lease at your apartment. Cause you're going to want to come back to <laughs> like to Omaha to get a job here. 
I was like, no, it's not going to happen, Isaiah. I'm pretty committed to Iowa City. I told my friends I would help them with their shop. And I plan on being here for quite a while. And he was like, okay. And then every so often he'd be again like, hey, make sure you only sign a six-month lease. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then I moved to Iowa City. And three months later, I'm like, hey, Isaiah. Uh, I gave him a call. I was like, hey, Isaiah, will you uh, – are there any openings still at Archetype? Because you were right. I really don't like it here. So if there's any possibility of me still coming to work at Archetype, I'd like to talk about it. Um, you know, and then he's like, when can you come have an interview? I was like, I can go tomorrow. So the next day I drove to Omaha and I talked to Isaiah and that's kind of how I got hired here. And when was that? That was June. Oh, I got hired in June 2019 it's my first month so that was I think in April 2019 so we're going on almost two years now yeah well congratulations that's yeah, yeah. that's really cool to just hear how that came together I I mean just to hear that kind of a recruiting pitch and to constantly have that buzz in your ear like I'm sure that there's you know that's that's kind of a cool feeling to, to yeah. know that someone has recognized your talent and they really want you to be a part of their team yeah yeah that is really nice and I'm really honestly I can't really see myself anywhere else right now. Um, I mean, even within, you know, coffee's a great, you know, medium, but Isaiah's really good at kind of pushing you to be better in other aspects of life. So that is really cool to have him as a boss and as a friend. Um, and that's kind of, he kind of pushed me too to start um, cooking more, which is well, nice. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into, you know, talking more about Eek Newtley because Isaiah really has been, you know, such a strong, you know, presence, I think, in helping people start their businesses and push them forward. You can go back to like Ugly Duck several years ago, Nice Rolls, which is operating um, out of Archetype Coffee right now. Like, I'm sure there are other examples too. Those are just two that are coming to my head. So as you're working at Archetype, I'm sure that, you know, you were doing some cooking on the side, or, you know, you were honing your skills. How are you kind of or I guess like what, what were you doing to get your cooking skills on the level where they are now? Uh, I mean, I tell everybody the same thing, just paying attention to everything. Like every time I cook, I mean, no matter how good it is, I'm always like, here's what I can do better next time. Here's what I can do better next time. And just paying attention to all of that, uh, I think is what has pushed me to improve. And I think with anything I cook ever, there's always like, I could adjust the salt here. I could adjust this, adjust that. Um, so just, I guess, taking notes on everything. And it's the same way with coffee. Whenever I brew a cup of coffee, it's like, yeah, this is good, but here's what I can do next time to improve that. Constantly um, serve, uh, yeah. searching for perfection. Yeah. Yeah. So were you just like cooking for friends and family at this point? or? Yeah. So every so often, like on my days off, I would go to Archetype and I'd make breakfast or lunch or you know, just anything like that, just so I can, you know, eat stuff I want to eat because I don't want to make a big batch of something and only try to eat it myself. Yeah. So, um, kind of goes hand in hand just with sharing with everyone. Uh-huh. So. so was it during one of those meals or like when did the idea of a pop-up start to emerge? Um, it was over the course of time uh, while working with Christina at Nice Rolls too. Um, she was also – you know, kind of pushing me to, you know, do something else if I wanted to do something else. 
So working at Nice Rolls especially is kind of what gave me the confidence to be like, oh, I can, you know, do a big amount of things and, you know, keep it, <laughs> keep it good, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, she, just, she, Christina just kind of helped give me the confidence to pursue my own thing. And obviously, it's one thing to, you know, cook staff meal for your yeah. your friends at, at Archetype and your coworkers at Archetype. It's a whole nother to serve, you know, hundreds of people in a night yeah. and to essentially run a business. How much <laughs> did it help to kind of have that, a little bit of a training with Christina, with Nice Rolls, to kind of see how the operation of a pop-up <laughs> might look if you decided to take that route? Um, just uh, knowing how to scale up you know, whatever recipe. I have all these recipes, um, but I had never, you know, made them, weighed everything out, like counted, you know, how many, you know, how much salt I put in, stuff like that. Um, I mean, I have these recipes in my head and I've never written them down or like actually measured how much I'm making. Like, um, so that kind of helped me a lot, just knowing my recipes and how, how to scale it up. So, so you mentioned, you know, Isaiah is someone who's constantly encouraging people to, you know, to push themselves. Christina was kind of, she was nudging you. She was saying, Hey, you should, you know, do something here. What was the point where you actually decided, yes, I'm going to do this. Um, one day I just told Christina, Hey, give me a date and I'll make something happen. So, Honestly, Christina just was like, hey, February 7th. And I was like, cool, let's make it happen. <laughs> so that was actually the nudge. It wasn't like I decided. It was kind of like Christina decided for me. <laughs> and now I was just like, all right, I, I told her I'd do it. So <laughs> I got to keep my word. And you can't say no to yeah. Christina Lee. When, no. when she encourages you to do something, you just you just want to do it. You just want to do it. Yeah. So now that you, you've got February 7th, you know that's your date, but you don't like – you don't necessarily know anything else. How did you go about planning everything? Planning what's going to be on the menu? How mm-hmm. much? How much is it going to cost? How are we going to, you know, get the food in here? Like, how am I going to train my team? How did you start formulating a plan? Uh, so first off, I made a small batch of tamales. Um, so I was like, here's, you know, I'm using this much flour, uh, this much oil, this much meat. Here's the salsa I'm going to make. So. In planning that, it was a good week or two of just honing that in and um, just counting how many tamales I'm making. The pricing out of it was kind of honestly on the fly. Like, I was like, oh, so this is how much meat I'm going to need. So I'm going to go out and buy it. And this is how much it cost me. So it was like learning as I went in on that end. Um, and it helped a lot on the second pop up, just in knowing how to plan, how much to buy. So I don't overbuy or underbuy. Uh, stuff like that so it's still honestly a learning process even on the second one but definitely I learned a lot on that first one for the second one and the second one I learned a lot for whatever I do next what was it like to be the boss because correct me if I'm wrong but this was kind of you know your first opportunity to do that where Mm -hmm. you're the one who's leading the team and you're the one who has to make all these you know, hard decisions like you were just talking about, these really important decisions. What was that like for you doing that for the first time? It's a little weird. Um, I, I'm not the type of person that feels comfortable, like, telling people what to do. Um, but I think just kind of knowing 
what I like from my bosses that I've ever had, what I've liked, what I've not liked. I just try to keep an open communication within everybody. So I don't want people to feel, I guess, afraid if anything goes wrong or if they have any questions. I want people to be comfortable like, hey, how do we do this? How do we do that? Um, so I think my approach is more just making everybody feel welcome and comfortable and not afraid to ask any questions. You kind of mentioned your prep process earlier, how, you know, you basically work a full shift during the day. And then after that shift is over, you you go into prep mode. What Mm -hmm. was prep for that first pop-up like? Like how intense was that? That one was really intense. So uh, especially like with making all the pickles and everything, uh, you know, that was one night. And then, um, I mean, that was another learning experience because that first night, uh, usually when I make those pickles at home, I just leave them on my stove to kind of cool down back to room temperature. And that's kind of what you're supposed to do. Um, but at Archetype, those, you know, commercial ovens, they have that pilot light that still is pretty hot. So basically I ruined a batch of oh no. those pickles. So it was like, I mean, three, four hours of work that I had to do again the next night. Um, so that was a big learning experience. And then... I mean, making the masa, the tamales, like, that is so time-consuming. Like, you kind of have to sort through all the all the corn husks because every so often you'll find, like, one that kind of has mold on it or one that, um, you know, is not, you know, the right size or too thin, too thick, you know. So you kind of have to sort through those to, you know, find the good ones. Um, and there's not a lot of bad ones, but you, you kind of want to be – prepared for all of it just get all the prep done first and for the tamales that took so much time making the masa uh, making all the fillings individually was you know a, a one night thing so like every single day there was something else different that I had to do uh, so that one was I think next time for whenever I make tamales again I'll have more people help me and not have it just be me um, for the carnitas it was a bit easier because I just made the carnitas one one night, like the night before and stuff like that. So that was fine. How important is that last step that you just talked about? How important is that part of the learning process? Knowing here's how much I can do myself. Cause I'm sure just instinctually, that's kind of what you want to do. You just want yeah. to take it on and not burden other people. But yeah. how, how do you learn that? I, I can't do it all. I have to, you know, find places where people can help me along the way. How yeah. important is it to learn that? I think it's very important because I, I've i always been the type of person that just hates asking for help. Like, I like helping people on things that they need, but I hate asking. And I don't know why that is. It could be just, just how I am. But uh, it is important, I think, to just know that people are there to help you, you know, and they won't feel burdened or anything like that. They're, I mean, they're there for you. So I've just got to, I think, be better at just accepting that and accepting when I need help. So, As as you're, like, prepping and getting ready for service, was there ever a thought in your mind where it was kind of like, you know, this is my chance here? Mm-hmm. Like, if if this goes really well, like, this could, you know, this could maybe become something. If this doesn't go well, I don't know if I get this opportunity again. Do you allow yourself to think like that, or do you just have to put the blinders on and stay in the moment? You just got to stay in the moment, I think. Because, I mean, even during service, I'm so nervous. Like, 
I mean, again, touching back on how I always think that I could do something better. It's just like, what if people notice this? Like, oh, I undersalted this. I undersalted that. Just like nitpicking everything. So I'm just like, oh, what if everybody hates it? And then you kind of go down that rabbit hole, but you kind of have to shut that off and just be like, it's out there. There's nothing I can do anymore. If people hate it, they hate it. If people like it, they like it. So the good news is, by all accounts, no one hated it because yeah. you guys sold out 300 tamales in <laughs> 45 minutes, which is on. This was on Super Bowl Sunday, mind yeah. you. So, like, as the Super Bowl is going on, people are like leaving that and coming and getting tamales, which is a real testament, I think, to how excited people were about this. So, what was service like during that night? That night, it was like it started and we were just you know, slammed and then it ended and it was like, Oh, that's it. We're done. <laughs> so it was just like, you didn't even notice it happened. You just, it was just go mode from, you know, six to six forty five. So what was the feeling like after service? Was, was it just like this big sigh of relief? Did you feel validated? Was it kind of like, man, I, I feel like that went well, but I don't mm-hmm. actually know what, where were your emotions at? It was like, I was relieved that it was done. And then, I think all those like thoughts of like, oh, what if people hate it? <laughs> so that whole night I was nervous and I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, I'm so scared if people don't like these tamales. Like, I know it's, you know, my style, but what if people have had them elsewhere and they're different and they don't like how I did them? So I was just so scared about that. So it was a sigh of relief and then just all those nervous feelings set in. So what was... What, what what was like the early feedback that you got? Because obviously I think, you know, you had the confidence to do a second pop-up. Mm-hmm. So you must have gotten some really good feedback that, that killed those thoughts of, oh, people didn't like it. What encouraged you that the night went really well? I think that following week, just everybody that I saw that had the tamales was just like, oh, those were awesome. Those were so good. So it just kind of helped calm me down a little bit that way. What was the most important thing you think you learned during that first pop-up that helped you in the second one? Just be confident, you know, and if people, I mean, I think there's bound to be people that don't necessarily like what I put out, but I think with anything, anybody that cooks, there's always going to be people that don't necessarily like it, and you kind of have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. So just being confident and just knowing things will be all right one way or the other, so... Something that I find interesting is just in talking to um, sons and daughters of restaurateurs, it seems like they usually go in one of two directions. They either, you know, they kind of grow up working in the restaurant and they either love it and it's in their blood and they they just want to be a part of it, or they see how hard it is and how long the hours are and everything, and they just run as far as they can in the opposite direction. Clearly, you know, you were more towards the the former type where Mm -hmm. you kind of got that, you know, you kind of caught the bug a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you think you would have this passion for cooking if not for your parents' restaurant growing up? I think maybe. um, Just, I mean, they, my parents, uh, you know, cook a lot at home. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way it's just like I want to honor that too. Yeah, I just want to honor, you know, what they showed me through what I'm doing. So, I'm sure one way or the other, I probably would have caught it in some way. Well, how special is that for you to take something that, 
you know, is so personal to you and that, you know, this is something that you shared with your parents, whether it was in the restaurant or just like you said, cooking at home and sharing mm-hmm. those family meals. And now you're able to take, and you mentioned you, you tweak the recipes. It's not the exact same recipe, but you're able to take some of that food and kind of distribute it to the masses. I mean, you know, tamales are a fairly, fairly popular food, but like mm-hmm. not everyone in Omaha has had a tamale. Like there are probably people listening to this right now who don't know what it is or they've never had an authentic one for sure. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of giving them that first opportunity to experience this, this food that is, you know, very special to you. Like how, how special of a feeling is that? Uh, it feels really nice. Um, you know, just seeing people enjoy something I made. Um, and that. I think at the end of the day is honestly what I'm looking for. I don't really, I guess, care if people know my name or, like, if people um, see me as this whatever, like, (laughs) great um, cook or coffee person. I just want people, whenever I put anything in front of them, whether it's coffee or food or anything else, I just want them to feel that feeling that I got, you know, the first time I had it. Or, like, whenever I sit down and I eat with my parents – I just want to share that feeling honestly more than the food. That's beautiful. So. How did you come up with the name? Um, um So the town my parents are from, it's Isla Wakan, Le Rio. It's um, this, it was founded by uh, the Nahuatl who kind of um, predate the Aztecs a little bit. So it's like, it's the city that's been there for hundreds of years. Um, and uh, Nahuatl in or in Nahuatl, Ignutli means friend or companion, and I just I just kind of wanted to I guess honor my my dog Cowboy because I mean he's been my friend and companion for the past few years and um, I mean honestly that feeling as well like the feeling of companionship and friendship is something that is very important to me so the name. I guess kind of explains what I'm trying to put out there. So was there any worry as you were branding it or like, did people talk to you about like, Hey, you know, this, this is a term that a lot of people haven't heard of before. You know, maybe you want to go for something a little easier or did you know, like, this is, this is it for me. Like this is something special. It needs to be named this. Uh, It was a little both. Cause when I, when I settled on the name, I was talking to a few people and they're like, uh, people are not going to know how to pronounce this. They don't know what it means. And I am pretty stubborn when it comes to once I make up my my mind, it's kind of what I'm going with for the most part. So it was a little of that, but then I was just like, how can I, uh, you know, hopefully explain to people what this means, what it is, how to pronounce it. Um, so, I I honestly, I really like the name. I it's it's one of those where the first couple times that I saw it, I was just like, man, this this is really difficult. But now that I know it, it's just ingrained in my head. And I very closely associate that with your food. And I, I consider it kind of like some other places in, in Omaha just that I, I was thinking of as I did this, like a Canara or Moots or Kathmandu Momo Station. Like these are places with kind of weird names. And when you first hear about them, you're you know, someone might go, I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't understand. But once you have that food, you, because it's such a unique name, I think you really develop like a strong connection and that place and that name really sticks out in your head. So I I love the name. I think it's great. Um, 
yeah, I guess I don't really have a question to go off of that. I just <laughs> wanted to give you some confirmation that, that I think it's a it's a really good name. Once once people pronounce it for the first time, I think it kind of gets in their head a little bit. And on your Instagram page, on Ikneatly Instagram's page, there's a really good like pronunciation guide that makes it very easy to understand. So that's very helpful. Um, what is the most difficult part of running a pop-up that someone who's never done one wouldn't understand? It's a hard question. I mean, to me, the hardest part is just, I guess, being confident enough to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Honestly, for me, that's my main struggle. Everything else just kind of falls into place because it has to. Mm-hmm. Now, as a young cook who you know is not ready for you know a brick and mortar establishment or a food truck or even any anything along those lines yet, I don't know if you've thought of that at all. But how important is it to have an opportunity to? have a space to run a pop-up like that to to kind of gauge people's interest and, you know, to to gauge your own abilities. And am I able to, you know, distribute food on a scale and mass? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's very important because there is a little bit of a risk, but it's not as big of a risk as if you just jumped in and opened a brick and mortar without anybody knowing who you are, without... Uh, you know, trying out your recipes without, uh, you know, learning how to manage people, knowing how to manage yourself, you know. So it's the risk, more risk and reward without, you know, I guess losing a business. So. Right, right. That Yeah, there's, yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. It's low risk, potentially very high reward. And I think we've seen that high reward with, with several places in Omaha over the last couple of years. You know, I mentioned... Kathmandu Momo Station, that started as a pop-up. Ugly Duck Ramen started as a pop-up. Dirty Birds, brand-new fried chicken restaurant, started at Dandelion Pop-Up and now is in the switch at Blackstone. And, you know, mentioning Dandelion, that's a different pop-up restaurant every single week. Why do you think that we've seen kind of this this rise of the pop-up in Omaha over the past, I would really say, probably five or six years? Um. I can't really speak to the past five years, but the I think during the pandemic that we're in currently, I think more people had the chance to just really, really think about what they wanted to do, you know, because everybody has, you know, their nine to five job. But I think all of us have this one thing that we're super interested in, whether it's music, whether it's food, whether it's art. I think there's been kind of an explosion of all of that where people are doing like, here's what makes me happy. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want to do. If it turns into something, then awesome. If it doesn't, it's fine. But I think just people really having the chance to think about what they love and what makes them happy. It kind of forced people to slow down a little bit. Yeah, I would say so. Do you think you would have taken the chance and tried eat neatly if not for the pandemic? I don't think so. Um, I think I would have, you know, obviously still been cooking for people, but I mean, even within coffee, there's all these competitions that I like doing, whether it's latte art competitions, whether it's, um, you know, Brewers Cup championships, stuff like that. There's always something going on in coffee that I have always been working towards. But I mean, in the past year, I haven't really had to do that. So it's like, what else do I want to do that I want to get good at? Mm-hmm. And I guess it was cooking just naturally. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get back to eat when we finish up here, but I want to touch on the coffee side a little bit more here. Like 
you talk about, you know, these, these coffee uh, competitions and, and latte art competitions and stuff. I think that that, for someone who doesn't work in coffee, and I think, you know, for most of the audience, that's probably something that's very new. And like, we don't even, I, I honestly did not know before I, I started researching for my podcast with Isaiah that those were even a thing. And now I'm like, I like went down a little rabbit hole for like half an hour, like researching these things. And I was just like, this is awesome. This is like a whole subculture here. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of just tell us a little bit about that and how, how you got into the coffee competition world? Mm -hmm. Um, It was the same thing with, I guess, just trying to get good and going down that rabbit hole. Um, It started for me with latte art competitions because in city, it's kind of hard, like, when you talk about taste with people, like, here's what this coffee tastes like. And I think with most people who um, haven't really, um, I guess, dove down the rabbit hole in coffee, if you pay attention to, you know, how it tastes or, like, how your texture of milk is, like, stuff like that. In Sioux City, the easiest thing to talk about was, here's how I texture my milk and here's what I can do with it. Um, so I... I did my first um, like big competition in June 2018. It was the World Latte Art um, Championship Open, and that was yeah in June 2018 in Denver. And I got 32nd there, and I was like, I want to do better. So I mean, I went to New York the next year, and I was out first round, and then um, I did Indianapolis in. I guess the following year after that, but I got 16th there and now it's just like, I want to get better and do better. And I, even though I'm not as invested in, you know, the latte art side as much anymore, I think I want to keep doing that and just do better. And then hopefully once I'll win one and then just be able to just drop it and be like, I'm done with this. <laughs> um, you win and then you just drop the mic. Yeah, you take that title belt <laughs> and don't give it back. Yeah, basically. And then, um, within Brewers Cup, um, I got 12th in the U.S. last year, um, and I want to keep doing that until I do well enough to hopefully go to Worlds in Brewers Cup one year, um, and then just do something else because there's Brewers Cup. You have like a cup tasters competition, uh, which basically you get a set of three coffees, and there is, I think, eight sets, and you have to taste all three and pick the odd one out. Um and then there's barista, which Isaiah does. Um, there's a uh, coffee and good spears is what it's called. So you um, get to essentially make a coffee cocktail with, you know, alcohol and stuff like that. And then there's a roasting competition. Um, so eventually I'd like to do all of them, but um, it's just all about improving and learning more every time. How, how do you improve and learn? Like, do you... Do you talk to people at these competitions? Are you, you know, reading about stuff on the internet? Like, how do you get better at this? I think it's everything. Paying attention, talking to people, taking notes on everything as much as you can. Kind of goes hand in hand with the cooking, too. Getting back to Eek Newtley, when you, obviously the the first two pop-ups have been you know, a pretty big success. And I think the the reception has been very positive. What do you kind of see as the future for it? As the future, um, for now, my, my plan is still to do, you know, something every other month. Um, 
I I guess haven't thought as much into the future other than doing that. It would be really cool once I feel comfortable enough to maybe open something. I could do that, but I want it to be something more where it's coffee and food mm-hmm. um, because I love doing both. I, I can't really see myself, you know, not in coffee, and I can't see myself not cooking. So ideally, if it ever happens, it would be something that merges both in either a coffee shop, restaurant, or something of that matter. Do you think there's a crossover for you where there are things that you learn in cooking and running your pop-up that make you better on the coffee side of things and vice versa? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it goes hand in hand. Um, Just knowing, you know, when you need to add an acid to your food or when you need to add uh, more sweetness or, like, stuff like that, just balancing flavor um, is kind of hand in hand, just knowing how to use your palate and making it taste good, I guess. All right, last thing before I get you out of here. We've talked about the tamales we talked about the the uh, the carnitas that you did at the second pop-up, and you kind of talked about how those were intentional choices based on the time of year, based on, you know, what you were wanting to eat at that moment. I don't know if you've started planning at all, but have you thought about at, at future pop-ups what might be on the menu? What can we, like, tease out to people? Um, I've been thinking either doing a breakfast pop-up, which would be chilaquiles, uh, which is one of my favorite foods. Uh, that my mom makes me on my birthday. Um, my birthday's in July. So maybe that, or um, I don't know if you've ever had a torta ahogada. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, a Delicious. torta, and then it's like on this hard bolillo roll. Um, so it's hard on the outside and soft on the inside. So it's hard on the outside so it doesn't get soggy. Um, you know, and it has like a tomato sauce and then um, like a spicy hot sauce on the top of that. And algada just means, like, drowned. So it's uh, essentially like a wet burrito except <laughs> torta form. Right. So I might do that. Um, carne asada, like, I guess there's a whole variety of summer foods that I like to eat um, that I might do. So, But I haven't really planned exclusively for that yet. So that's a good teaser. That's, yeah. that's something to watch things, out for, yeah. something to keep <laughs> the eyes on the horizon. So – how you can do that, listeners, follow Ikniutli on, you can follow them on Facebook and on Instagram. That's I-C-N-I-U-H-T-L-I. And I would highly encourage you to do that on both of them. You'll see pictures of delicious food. And you do a great job, like, in the weeks ahead of time and then, you know, going into the days ahead of time, teasing out you know, here's where we're going to be. Here's the time it's going to be available. Here's the menu. Here are some great pictures. So it's all very apparent exactly what people are going to be getting. And it it looks delicious. That's why I've come both times and I left very happy both times. So, Jesus, thank you so much for giving us the time today. This was uh, really awesome and I, I just really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. All right. And Omaha, as always, thanks for eating with us. A Huda Media Production.